Good morning. It is, uh, I'm, I'm preaching with a mic in my hand. We've got like two mics broken and all kinds of stuff. And then we got the kids going. And so we got all kinds of mic issues. So hopefully this one's going to work. Um, I apologize if something happens along the way, but I think we're going to be okay. So um, it is Christmas time. Isn't that fun? Isn't Christmas fun? I, I, I'm learning to love Christmas. How many of you are in that spot in your life? Anybody? You're, kind of, you're learning to love That's okay. It's okay to be learning to love something. You know, it's, it's important, but uh, as, we, as we think about Christmas and we await uh, the arrival, of you, if you will, of a Messiah and we celebrate that, I, I hope our hearts in a, are in a place where we can uh, receive, receive the gift from God that is Christmas. So let's, let's pray before we dig into God's Word for just a few minutes this morning. Dear God, thank you so much. You are good and you are gracious and we love you. And, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here. Uh, this morning as we celebrate, this season as we celebrate the coming of a Savior, of a Messiah, Lord, I, I just thank you so much for that. I thank you that you put that plan into place from the very beginning, that we celebrate the redemption that Jesus brings, the salvation that he brings. And Lord, as we look forward to that celebration in a, in, in a couple weeks, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work on our hearts, uh, that we would continue to realize the significance of this celebration and the reality of eternal life that is found in Jesus, the one who came to save us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready to embrace the message you would have for us. Thank you for kids that are going to tell us the Christmas story in just a few minutes. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Erica Commissar, she wrote an article recently for the Wall Street Journal, and it, it, it was titled like this. It says, The title was, Don't Believe in God, Lie to Your Children. I'm going to say that again, because I, you know, you kind of read a a title of an article like that, and it causes you to pause for a second. Don't believe in God, question mark, lie to your children. Well, that clearly drew my attention, and and, and I, I heard some others talking about it. I certainly wanted to read that and to figure out what is what is this all about. And as I as I as I read it, this is uh, some of the information that I found out. In, two, in 2018, a study uh, in the American Journal of um, Epidemiology, Epidemi- Epi- something, yeah, that one. Who said that? That's really good. I'm impressed right now. Epidemiology. Is that, did I say it right? There we go. It took me a second. Epidemiology examined how being raised in a family with religious or spiritual belief affects mental health. And so the Harvard researchers uh, did a survey. They surveyed uh, approximately 5,000 people, and, and, and here's what they found uh, to sum it up. Children or teens who reported attending a religious service at least once per week scored higher on psychological well-being measurements and had lower risks of mental illness. Weekly attendance was associated with higher rates of volunteering, a sense of mission, forgiveness, and lower probabilities of drug use and early sexual uh, initiation. Huh. So you're saying it works. But, you know, it's interesting. You begin to think about that, and, and here's the, the world, right, the secular world, and they're, they're trying to come up with, you know, they're trying to understand faith and religion, and, and they think they can limit it down to a survey. If we just survey a, p- a bunch of people, we'll figure out what it's all about. Of course, you still go back to the title of the article, Don't Believe in God? Question mark. Lie to your children. Wow. It's interesting. A Wall Street Journal, this isn't exactly some 
you know, back alley kind of publication or something like that. This is a pretty, you know, well-known, legitimate publication. This author is, is, is a psychologist and therapist and uh, has some credentials as well. Certainly Harvard is, is no joke as far as a, an organization that's going to do research. And, and, and this is what they find out. They found out basically this, that for children and youth who attend at least one religious service a week, they're going to do much better in life. That's what they find out. And so then the question becomes, what if you don't believe in God? What if you're a parent and you don't believe in God? Then what do you do? Because you certainly want all of the benefits, right? You want your, your kid to be well-adjusted. You want them to have a sense of, uh, of purpose in life. And you want them to be uh, psychologically well. You, you want all of those things for your, your kid. But if you don't believe in God, what should you do? And, and, and as you read the article, the therapist literally says, just lie to them. Just lie to them. That's, that's the answer. And I got to be honest with you, I, I kind of read that and I just go, wow. A life without God is so bankrupt, isn't it? It leads you to nowhere and nothing. And certainly they recognize this. Ironically, perhaps uh, the author of the article claims to uh, be Jewish in her faith. Whatever the case might be, though, as I began to think about it, it's not a good enough reason to look at Christianity and say, hey, Christianity is beneficial for my child or, or, or my, my teenager, therefore I'm going to believe in it. That's not sufficient reason to believe in Christianity. There might be benefits in believing in Jesus. There might be benefits in following him. But the benefits are not why you follow him. And I think that's really important for us to think about. As you think about this whole time of year and, and later, today, later in today's service, our, our kids are going to come up and they're going to tell us the Christmas story in kind of a unique and fun way. And, and, and we're all going to get our, our cameras out and the grandmas and, and grandpas. You're going you're gonna to video record it and put it on the Insta face. And, and you're going to, you caught that. That was good. <laughs> I was wondering if you would laugh. You know, you're going you're gonna to put it on, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is you, you put it on. I do know the difference, just so we're clear. Okay. <laughs> and, and, it's, and you're going to, you know, just be, be just thrilled that your kids are, are learning about Jesus and about, about God sending his son into the world. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be beautiful. But it is so much more significant than the pictures we take or the videos that we put on Facebook. The message of Christmas is something that should be believed not because it's beneficial, but because it's true. And as we think about this time of year, and we think about our series, which is called Arrival, and it's about it's the, the prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus coming and in his birth. And one of those prophecies that we're going to look at today is found in Micah chapter 5. And I'll read those verses to you. We're going to read the first few verses. And it says this. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. This would be an easy passage to, to overlook and, and, and to not consider 
regarding the Christmas story. It's, it's one of the minor prophets. It, this, this prophecy echoes uh, one that we find in Isaiah chapter 7. And, and, and there's other prophecies, and we're going to look at Isaiah 7 next week. But the, Micah, this, this prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom, he's, he's considered kind of the Amos, if you will, another minor prophet. Amos kind of wrote to, to, to the northern kingdom and, and Micah to the southern kingdom. And, 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 it's, and it's his prophecies, his preaching, if you will, that changed the heart of Hezekiah. And, and, and Hezekiah's reforms, when Hezekiah was, was king of Judah, comes from Micah's preaching. And, and there's a, it's a time when there was a period of time where, where wealth was, was there to be had, where things had gone well for Israel for a while. But you know what Israel always does? You know what people always do? Things go well, and then they, and they, and they, they praise God, and then all of a sudden they're praising other gods, and, and they're worshiping idols, and they're doing other things. And because things are so good and so easy, they kind of turn their back on Yahweh God. And so that's, of course, what happens. And God often will come and he'll judge the nation of Israel in the Old Testament with other nations. And in this case, it's Assyria. And Assyria comes and, and, and they, they begin to attack Judah. And there's, there's an attack in 701 and they besiege much of Judah, but not Jerusalem. Jerusalem tends to survive. And Jerusalem would hang on for a, a little over a hundred years after that before it would be besieged and, and eventually it would be overtaken. But in the midst of all of this, Micah's writing and he's writing to Judah and he's, and he's certainly there's warnings as there always are in the prophets, right? There's warnings, repent because judgment is coming, those kinds of things. That's a common theme. If you read the prophets and you, and you go, I don't know what this is about. If you can remember this, repent, judgment is coming, you'll get at least the basic gist of it, Okay. And so there's certainly that in the prophets, but there's also these messages of hope. And that's what we find in Micah chapter 5. There's a message of hope. There's, there's going to be a one who will come. And, and it, it'll, he'll come from the town of, of Bethlehem. And, and, and he's going to become king. And, and things are going to be restored. And things are going to be better. And, and, and there's going to be a woman. And she's going to birth a child, a son, and all of these things. And there's hope. There's, there's still something to come. So as Micah writes this message. It's a message of hope in the midst of of what appears to be certain destruction. And you begin to think about that. And I was, I was in Bethlehem this last summer. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy because it's, it's just south of, uh, southwest kind of, of Jerusalem. And you go and it's like, it's just a short drive, but it's like Palestinian territory, you know? So there's, a, there's like literally a big wall there. And, and it was kind of funny because, you know, there's graffiti on the wall. As a matter of fact, there's, we drove through just a kind of a fun story. We drove through the, the entrance from, uh, you know, from, the Israeli-controlled part into the Palestinian-controlled part where Bethlehem was. And, you, and you, you drive through, and we stopped at a hotel that was literally just on the other side of the wall, and they called it the Waldorf because all the, all the windows faced the big wall, and it was just a big, huge concrete wall. And then, of course, you know, and you look at there's a coffee shop, and so we stopped to have coffee and, and, and all these things, and they had, like, you know, there was like all graffiti about President Trump and walls on the wall and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of humorous. But, um, but you, you go into Bethlehem, and, and, you, and we drove around, and I bought, like, a little tiny manger scene, you know, because if you go to Bethlehem, you've got to buy a manger scene, right? Like, it's, like, how can, I, I was literally thinking to myself, like, I can't leave Bethlehem and not have bought some kind of manger scene from Bethlehem, and so I bought it. But it's just this, this little place, and even today it's not that big of an area. I mean, it's certainly developed and things like that. It's different than it was back then. But Bethlehem was a nowhere town. It was a, it was a nothing town. 
It, was, it wasn't a place that had any real significance, although it did have some historical significance when Micah was writing. But it was historical significance, and it was, it was a reminder as, as, as Micah goes back and says, look, there's going to be a king that comes out of Bethlehem. Well, there was, had already been a king that came out of Bethlehem, if you remember, and that was the King David, and he came out of Bethlehem. And so he reminds the readers of something in the past. And in so doing, he also gives them hope for the future. And, and, and that leads us to this. Hope for the future is often found in the past. We often find hope for the future in the past. That was certainly what Micah was doing as he was writing. He reminded them, hey, out of this town, Bethlehem, you remember Bethlehem, King David. That's where King David came out of. And he was, you know, Samuel went and anointed King David to become king. He didn't become king in, uh, immediately, but he would eventually become king of Israel. And he, he came from Bethlehem. And in so doing, he reminds them of David, but he says there's going to be another one. There's one yet to come. And there's future hope. And so he does two things in this passage. He reminds them of the past, but gives them hope for the future. But you, verse 2, to read it again, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, in other words, you're small, you're insignificant, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient time. We look to the past to find hope for the future. That's what we're doing this month, by the way. If you didn't make that connection, we begin with, we begin with this idea of Christmas, and, and I know there's all kinds of other things that people talk about at Christmas, but, but this is what Christmas is about. It's about a God who loved the world so much that he gave up his only son that he sent him into the world out of an expression of that love. It's a, it's a real event in history that literally split time in half in our reference to it. When we say B.C., we mean what? Before Christ. So there is a, a sense in which it, it was recognized, this one event, this baby being born, was so unique, so amazing, so different, that they changed how they measured time because of that birth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this nowhere-nothing town. Yeah, there was a king that came from there, but it was not much. There wasn't much to it. And as we approach Christmas, we're remembering something that happened but we're recognizing that that wasn't the end of the story. Much like the people in Israel, as they received the message from Micah, they were looking back, yeah, to this king that had come, but they were also looking forward to a king that was yet to come. They were in between the two events, and Micah was reminding them, he was saying, yeah, there was David, right? There was the, the of old, that ancient uh, thing that is, this is coming from. There's David of old, but there's also something future that's happening, and they were in the middle. They looked back to the past, but they looked forward to the future. So too, we look back to the Christmas story, to the coming of Jesus the first time. But what do we look forward to? The return of Christ, when he'll set up his kingdom, when he will rule and make all things right. We sit in between looking back to the past and finding hope in it because there is still a future that is yet to come. The other thing we see from this is, is this, that God may not do things according to our timeline, right? He doesn't always come when we want him to come. He doesn't always do the things when we want them to do them. Certainly, Israel would have 
or Judah would have, would, have, would have preferred to just have everything fixed immediately. But they didn't. They had to wait some 700 years before Christ would come. But God is not limited by our situation. You see, we're limited by our situation. We can see our situation. We have a hard time seeing much further. We can look at the things around us. We can look at our bank account and we go, oh my goodness, that limits me. We can look at the location where we live and we can say, wow, that limits me. You know, as it's interesting as you, you know, begin to have kids who become adults and then they do crazy things like get married and stuff like that. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And then you begin to think about, because we were so mobile before, like we could go anywhere. We'd just take our family with us, right? I mean, that's kind of how my wife and I have lived our lives. We literally, and you, some of you know the story, we got married in, in, what year did we get married? 1993. It was 1993, right? And it was 1993. We get married, and we literally had a U-Haul attached to our car because we were moving to Colorado. We're from Minnesota, and we're like, see you all later, Right? We had a couple thousand dollars in the bank, no jobs, no place to live, but we had a car, a U-Haul trailer, and $2,000, and we were going to go start a, different, a new life, right? And so and some of you are shaking your heads, are like, you're insane. That's what her parents thought too, okay? But we moved out to Colorado. We just, we just moved out here. Two years later, we go back to Minnesota. We, it was fine. We just, we just went with our family. We just took our family. We didn't have a family per se, but we had each other. And then we eventually in 2008 came back out to Colorado and then we had a family and we just, we just took them with us. We were mobile. Now my daughter goes and marries some guy from Colorado and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm like, I can never move away. Right? We can't always live the way we want to live because we're limited. We're limited by our, our geography. I'm limited. I feel limited. I don't want to move too far away from my daughter because someday she's going to, someday she's going to have kids. And I want to be a grandpa someday when I'm old enough to be a grandpa, right? And then I can be the one doing the videos and the pictures and putting it on the Insta face and all that kind of stuff. But God is not limited by our current situation. God is not limited by those things. He wasn't limited when Micah wrote. He wasn't limited in the first century when, 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 when the eternal divine son of God took on human flesh. And he's not limited today. We are limited. We can't see past the things around us, past our current circumstances, situation. But God can. And he offers hope. And his hope is found in the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. It was Bethlehem, this small nothing town, and God was not limited by Bethlehem either. It was of no real importance, but that didn't matter to God. He brought King David out of Bethlehem, and even more important, he would eventually bring Jesus, Emmanuel, God who was with us, out of Bethlehem. In fact, later in Jesus' ministry, people began to argue about who Jesus was. Who is this guy? He keeps doing crazy stuff saying crazy things like, I and the Father are one, or before Abraham was, I am, and, and all of these things, like he, like he says in John, and, and in John chapter 7, they begin to argue about who this guy is. And in John chapter 7, verse 40, it says this, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. So others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Because Galilee is north. It's up by the Sea of Galilee. Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived, which is south of Jerusalem? Thus the people were divided. 
Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. There was a sense they knew that Jesus, that God was going to send a Savior. That Savior was going to come from Bethlehem. They they knew this. This was ingrained. This this passage in Micah 5 was ingrained in their their minds. And they knew the the passage in Isaiah 7 that we're going to talk about next week. They knew what this was. And they they looked and they said, Jesus, didn't Jesus come from Galilee? That's, That's up north. That's not quite right. The Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. And that's south. And there was some confusion. But we know that Jesus did come from Bethlehem. Who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel. God with us. And he's not limited by the size of the town. He's not limited by the circumstances we find ourselves in. He's not limited by geography. He's not limited by your bank accounts. He's not limited by your job. He's not limited by anything. There is no limit of God. The God who put the universe into existence sent his son Jesus. This Christmas, as we think about Christmas, whatever it is, that's hovering over us. I hope that we'll look to the past and celebrate his coming. And we'll find hope and salvation in the future when he will come again. Amen? Are you guys ready for some kids? You don't have to look so excited about it. I am too. But God is good and he is faithful. And as we celebrate Christmas, it is really fun to hear our kids tell us the story of Christmas. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to pray, and then I have no idea what happens after that. So I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to pray until, like, somebody stops me. (laughs) Dear God, you are so good and 